0: My friends, I just finished reading J.C. Dugard's A Stolen Life, and it was a tough read. I've spent most of the last day listening to her book on Audible, published around like 2010 or so. I haven't listened to her new one yet, but what I'm going to do here, what's up, Nick? Nice to see you. How you doing today? I'm live on Twitch right now. We're having a discussion about this book because... And then I'm putting this on YouTube and on my podcast. What's up, Lisa? Nice to see you today. So I'm, uh, to paraphrase the value of reading books, leaders are readers. I'm constantly reading books because reading books is greatly expanding my mind. I mean, this book was very painful. I haven't given birth, so I'm not going to relate it to that. But it was kind of like growing pains, like expanding my mind So her basic story is that she was kidnapped on her way to school at 11 years old and held as a captive for 18 years, which as a father of a 7-year-old girl and a 4-year-old boy and a person who's very filled with love and compassion, and this was a brutal book to read. I mean, I... I cried all over the place. I had a nice messy cry to start my yoga class. I cried before doing this live stream fairly recently. And I've got this nice it's a used camera so it's not technically new. But I got a nice new Canon XA used Canon XA11 for 700 and something bucks off of eBay. And I'm you you can see how, you know, I've I've clearly cried a lot in the last 24 hours and I was more attentive I was mowing the lawn a- between listening to this and if I'm taking something in like this that there's a lot of like you know my my mind and my body's like this is not good it hurts I don't want it ouch I'm like more attentive to slow down so I've slowed down when you're consuming something like this you got to be careful because it's more easy to like be clumsy or to hurt yourself so I was extra careful mowing the lawn yesterday and you'd wonder well why would you do this to yourself why would you read this book and uh, I uh, I want to grow and expand my mind especially when it comes to having an open heart and love and compassion for my fellow human beings on this planet and what I've found is hearing a, a very difficult story like this, man, I put out a lot of love for the people on this planet and wherever else people are, maybe other planets. You know, I, I prayed really hard and thought, you know, can we please be nice to each other? Can we please treat each other with some love and with some understanding? Because it's it's horrible to listen to how selfish and self-centered human beings are capable of being, of thinking only of satisfying your own needs in whatever we're talking about, whether it's being right in an argument all the way to, you know, taking someone else like in this book just to use occasionally and it's horrible. And I've been, I've known a lot of selfishness in my life by being an alcoholic It's something you don't get to be an alcoholic or in any kind of addiction without being very selfish. And it's all about you and how you feel and your pain and you're alone. Now, one thing she said in this book that I don't know how many other people picked up on this though. So the guy that took her, he said that he was hearing voices of angels that came from men in the inner earth. What's up, Mother Occult member? Now, you know if you've seen anything I've made before, I'm big into what you would call conspiracy theories. These stories we've been given by our governments about how various things have happened, think like JFK assassination, oh, it was a lone crazy gunman. No, it wasn't. That's a lie, it's a blatant in-your-face lie. It was not. And I'm not going to mention anything more recent specifically, but it seems to me that at the highest levels, there's a lot of lying and cheating and corruption. And from my research, it seems that things like extraterrestrials have been kept secret, not only kept secret, but been even worse than secret, like a subject of ridicule. And I, I think... The guy is telling the truth, which brings the question, what if he's a victim too? Now, this is a something most of us wouldn't stop to consider. And this is why I read books like this, because this expanded my mind. Like, what if this guy is a victim of some reptilian mind control? As other people that are obviously completely unrelated to this story have described... So I just put out a list of the best secret space program videos to listen to. And there's a bunch of people who've testified that there are these reptilian aliens that are very advanced and that they they are dominant in this planet. They're trying to subjugate humans and they feed off and they look at humans as just dogs, less than you would look at a dog, like cows you know something you could just pay someone to raise and kill for you like they're we are nothing to them and that they have control over this planet or they're fighting for control with some other more positive human and uh, benevolent extraterrestrials who for some reason i think they could step their game up a little bit it seems the reptilians have been doing very good on this planet for a long time and all, and they've controlled like royal bloodline. So it's interesting with all these conspiracy, the conspiracy world, the secret space program, and stuff that I've watched and taken in so much of that. What the guy who is the perpetrator of this book, so not the author, but the guy who took the author when she was eleven, he said that he was hearing voices from men, from angels. From that were men who lived inside the Earth. I mean, that's a very specific description that matches very closely with ex- what all these other things have been saying, and it begs the question, what is really going on on this planet? It's kind of easy to just look at the guy who uh, essentially who made this book happen. Like, this book would not have happened without him. Like, just like... Harry Potter wouldn't have happened without Lord Voldemort. This the guy. I think his name's Philip. I don't not sure how to say his last name, but you know, he says he was being mind controlled or talked to or hearing these voices from these angels. You know, what if that's true? That's what the secret space member. That's what the secret space program people are also saying, is that there's these reptilians who are controlling us, and they want. People to hurt each other. They want people to be divided so we can't work together to take them on. Because if we work together and we love each other, we can easily expel them from this planet. And uh, I mean, it seems unnecessary. Mother Cult member says we're not justifying the kidnapping. Obviously not. I have a seven year old girl and a four year old boy, and to me, it's just confusing as to how people can be so horrible. And yet, what I find a lot of us are scared of or unwilling to do is to try and understand better. We put up these walls and say, well, that's just a horrible monster. And we put walls up, because I have a four-year-old son. And what I think of is that the the guy who did this, he was a four-year-old boy at some point too. What happened to him in his life to put him in this position. And what to me was the most shocking in this book. Is that this guy. Philip, had a wife. Who actually fully participated. She was there. She helped take the girl. And that is. That breaks down a lot of our ideas. Like you, you know we have these. Kind of cultural subconscious programming. Like men are men are perpetrators and women are victims. It's kind of, un- I was, I found myself swearing out loud at her. I'm like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. Like, It breaks down all the definitions of what you'd think of like as kind of women as protectors and you would think of, you know, a woman would look out for a little girl instinctively, but she actually helped in every step of the way and it's like, oh my God, like this is, this is horrible at a level that's hard to comprehend. Yeah, this is exactly, that's what I was thinking is like what happened to her? What happened to her that this was acceptable to her? Because what's crazy is the wife, the wife participated every single step of the way. and it, And all right up to the very end. And for 18 years and it was, oh my God, this this book, this book expanded my mind. And I'm grateful that I have the courage to try and understand everybody, everybody. There were neighbors that lived next door to these people. There was a parole officer who came to that. There were parole officers. This guy was already on parole for doing things like this multiple times and there are parole officers that came to the house that couldn't be bothered to look around thoroughly enough to see that this was going on and uh, I understand they were probably busy they had a bunch you know If I was a correction officer I considered being a parole officer you know if you're a parole officer in a lot of places you have a lot of people to check on you have a busy work day and uh, You know, you often think of, they're all scumbags and, you know, like one of the, a lot of times it's easy to think of like graphic awful things. But a lot of the ordinary cruelties we do to each other are just because of being in a hurry. You know, too busy to stop and listen to somebody who's having a hard time. Too busy to, you know, too much of a hurry to drive safely. You know, scaring people in the car. Potentially, you know, a lot... Lots of people are hurt and killed in car accidents because of people who are in a hurry. Mother, mother of Cult member said you should do more true crime episodes. I, uh, this was hard. This was hard to read. And once I started it, I'm like, I've just got to get this over with. Like, I, I've listened to this just as much as I could. The book was like 7 hours. I listened to most books on 1.3 speed. So 30% faster. Because i listen listened to a lot of books. Listening helps me do other things. Like I washed the dishes, folded the laundry, was doing lawn maintenance, driving. I did a ton of things while I read this book. This was a tough one. Like my heart feels tired. My heart feels tired after listening to this book. Because... And yet, this story is very inspiring also. It's very inspiring to hear, you know, how resilient people are, of what horrible things people can go through and still come out of it with love. And it, it to me, it promotes an absolute need for transparency. We need to be able to be honest about exactly what we're doing and what's going on in our lives. One of the most protective things I've found for myself is I will not harbor thoughts that I am not willing to tell everybody about. You know, things like this only can happen because people are private and secret. And I personally have got into arguments with people that it's privacy and secrecy that are destroying the human race more than anything else it's people keeping things compartmentalized you know secret unacknowledged government military industrial programs that nobody even knows about and the people who do know about them can't tell anybody about them you know it's it's people keeping secrets that allow all the most horrible things to happen and i think you have no need for privacy if you're doing things that you would be comfortable with everybody knowing about. So my mind is very clean today because I have a commitment through alcoholics anonymous through working the steps through getting out there all the worst parts of my life, my own sexual trauma. I mean, you know, you listen to something like this and my experience was nothing. It was a it was a a moment of rain on a stretch of nice days. I had just enough sexual trauma in my own childhood, you know, the tiniest little bit to... And thankfully, my parents were... I immediately told my parents and they immediately were able to intervene. And, you know, then... It's helped me have the a much more of a compassion and understanding for other people and gratitude that I can speak about my own life openly and a desire to help others because, you know, when you read a book like this, it's really sad. Everything in it is sad. You know, the husband in this book is just sad. Like, cause this... It, you know, it's like... At some point, this guy was a beautiful baby that his mother loved him. And his mother did love him. And his mother was staying with him. And, uh, you know, like, what happened? I'm grateful I, I think now. I'm like, what happened in his life? He almost certainly was a victim first himself. And I wish you could hear his story, too. Because it's... And it's nice to have the whole picture on things. like how uh, in our society, we have a lot of stories from victims, but we don't have very many stories from perpetrators. And uh, you read a book like this, and it, it's it it leaves me thinking, I'd much rather be a victim than a perpetrator. You know, a victim gets lots of help and love and understanding and compassion. And, you know, she's gotten a ton of people that like she acknowledged that were there to support her, gave her money, gave her a place to live when she got out of it. Like being a victim is a much better deal overall, like because, you know, victims can be loved and healed. And, you know, when when you end up perpetrating something, you know, that's that's rough. Like I think I have compassion and love for every human being. And to me, if we want a better world, we need to have compassion for all human beings and see that every, you know, I have a boy and a girl at home and my son is statistically likely to have a much rougher life than my daughter. And my son is much more likely to be a victim and to perpetrate violence on somebody else my son is much more likely to end his life early or to end someone else's my son is more likely to be a victim of addiction you know my son is more likely to go off and fight a war somewhere like it, it's funny as dads you often like are programmed to protect your daughter but my son my son is the one statistically who's in much more danger my son is in danger of going to like the very worst places you can go because what it made clear, I love that she talked about like the things he said, like what a sad life. Like the, the the husband and the wife that were holding her, like what a sad, miserable, loveless existence. My God, and I just, I want to love everybody. I want everybody to feel loved because people who feel loved don't do horrible things to other people. People who feel alone and miserable and scared. Those are the people who do horrible things to other people. So I in every moment of my life I'm always I'm always trying to love people as much as I can, because you never know what people are going through. And a book like this really puts your own life in perspective. Several times I cried because you know, it's kind of amazing when reading something this tragic. That life is normally so good. Life is normally so good. And this is a good point she made in the book. She's like, you know, what happened to me is extremely rare. And thank God it is. Because, you know, how could we endure in a world where it wasn't? And yet, you know, even though it's extremely rare, there's... You know, it gives us good perspective because it gets to be easy to take your life for granted. and I I was drawn to read this book because I've been getting really comfortable lately. My life's fantastic. My life's full of love. People love me and I love others and I'm very, people take great care of me and almost everyone's nice to me and almost everything works out good. I'm very good at getting my needs met and people take great care of me. And it's important for me to to remember to put out love for those that are not in such a good situation because I was very lonely and uh, struggled a lot. And I used to think that, you know, I was scared that I would hurt somebody. And I used to think that I should just kill myself before I hurt anybody else. You know, and and in all kinds of different ways. You know, like drunk driving, I was scared I'd kill somebody driving my car, scared I'd I'd get in a fight with somebody and hurt them. And I used to think the best thing I could do was to end my own life. And I bet you for you know this is this is a pretty extreme rare example. The main Stranger abduction is, is very rare. I mean, most children are hurt by themselves, by their parents, and by their immediate family members. Like 98%. That covers 98% of what happens. And it's nice I can read a book like this and not be paranoid about something happening to my kids. And at the same time, I'm vigilant. They've never had a babysitter besides, you know, my family. I mean, Never. I, you know, I had a babysitter, and that's how something happened to me when I was a kid. And I've been very strict on, like, who can watch my kids. Chills, what's up? Chills, nice to see you today. Yeah, to me, reading is one thing that helps me constantly learn and expand my mind and be grateful for what I do have. Because, you know, listening to a horror story like this, which is also inspiring... You know, left me just feeling so grateful to just have my family around. It kind of felt unreal. Like, how is my life so nice? I have a wonderful wife, wonderful kids, wonderful in-laws, all kinds of people in my community that love and support me. It's like, it was kind of unbelievable to me. How is my life so nice? Because I've been to dark places. I've been to dark places myself and like i said i've i've thought the best thing i could do would be to to take myself out before anybody else did and i bet you a lot of people who end their own life think the exact same way and i i know that the reason i didn't end up hurting myself for anybody else is because i was loved enough that my parents and my family and my friends and my community loved me enough that that kept me safe from whatever, you know, whatever influence—whether it was reptilians or just dark sides of humanity or devil or whatever you want to put it—I think love keeps us safe from perpetrating horrible things on other human beings. That where there is love, these kinds of things will not happen. And the more love we can share, the more we can protect everybody and then help those that have been to the worst places. Mother cult member says, do you know people who harm or more like harm animals are more likely to harm humans. I was a police officer before and I res- I did. A- I have a bachelor's and a master's in criminology on all the stuff I talk about on this channel. Criminology is my actual area of education. So yes, I'm, I'm very familiar and I did my own study I found that in my study that I did as a graduate student, people who are deviant online are more likely to be deviant offline too. You know, people are willing to download music illegally and download movies illegally. People are willing to break small laws online are also willing to break small laws in person. Now it's difficult to get data like from people willing to break big laws like steal money or you know, commit felonies online. Are they more likely to commit felonies offline as well, I'd imagine so. So this book was so challenging to read, I f- I'm like, oh, this is too much to even talk about. But I tend to, I have set an intention to live my life based on intuition. And intuition often guides me through feelings and passion. And this book is... It came to me that way. I was not looking for this book. I was actually listening to a secret space program podcast. And for some reason, they named it the exact same thing that she named her book. So they called the podcast A Stolen Life. But it was by Penny something. And she was talking about how she was abducted as a kid and put into the secret space program and i found this book by accident on audible and my first thought was no 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 this is, this is not no but as what i find is the areas that my heart or intuition is guiding me to often will come up repeatedly and they'll come up they'll come up with some feeling too Like, my first thought seeing this was, like, hell no. (laughs) I got kids. I try not to picture bad things happening to my kids. I try and keep these ideas out of my head, which I know some parents are plagued with ideas of this happening to their kids all the time. And the thing to keep in mind is, most people, most of the time, are what you would think of as good. Nice, caring, loving, trustworthy, considerate. That the awful things humans do to each other are not that common. For example, you know, I, it was important to me to remember some of these things and statistics in reading this book because you read a book like this and it can be easy to start thinking that everybody's doing this. But as she said in the book, this is very rare, you know, like 1% or less of child abductions are by strangers. It's almost all people the child knows. So what I've found in my life is the opposite of stranger danger. Like going to AA meetings, a bunch of strangers saved my life. And uh, I work with all kinds of strangers and people I barely know at AA meetings to help them get their life back. You know, and some of these people at AA meetings, I, I imagine from this because... it seems to me that some of the people at Alcoholics Anonymous, like this, the guy and his wife who took her were also drug addicts. And from my experience as an alcoholic, you definitely want to stay away from alcohol and drugs because the guy in the book, as she described, said that he was being influenced by angels, men from the inside of the earth, maybe reptilians, maybe the devil, maybe just... Him making up a story, to uh, you know, try and explain his behavior. Y- you you can't be certain with these kinds of things. But what you can be certain of is if using alcohol and using drugs will put you in a position where something bad is more likely to work on you or to influence you. Rather, it's making a dumb decision to ride in the car with somebody, drunk driving, to say something nasty to somebody you love, whatever it is. This book is really good clarity as to, you know, you want to stay away from alcohol and drugs. What I found is using alcohol for me personally took me to places mentally that, you know, I hadn't been to before. Dark places of wanting to end my own life. And you don't get there like rapidly. It's one drink at a time. This guy was a, and his wife were drug addicts. That took her. In, uh, that's. Uh, you want to keep away from people who are alcoholics and drug addicts too. Like if somebody relapses in AA, like I, I keep my distance from people in AA too. Like I generally don't have, you know, unless somebody's been sober quite a while and I know them really well. I generally don't have them over to my house or introduce them to my family. And it seems like the people in Alcoholics Anonymous who have the best chances of recovering are you know people like me who don't have that bad of a past. Like I I've shared you know all of my deepest darkest worst secrets. I've put them all out online now. I made the mistake of putting them in a blog post and the police came over me describing my exact thoughts that I used to have in high school. And yeah, I've learned that we need to use some discretion cuz you know, some people are. The guy she talks about, Philip, that had her captive, he was very paranoid. And to me, one sign of people being sick is paranoia. And it's often one of the most obvious signs. So people who are very paranoid, in my opinion, have a reason to be paranoid. Of course, the guy that abducted her and his wife were paranoid. Because they were doing stuff they didn't want anybody to find out about. So, of course, they're going to be paranoid. So, I I stay away from people who are paranoid, too. And people who are paranoid see things and try and are are quick to, to see things or put, put a really crazy spin on stuff because that's how they normally are thinking. And it seems from listening to this book, I've gotten a better understanding, too, of why some people struggle at Alcoholics Anonymous because... You know I was able easily to just tell do my f- fist up and talk about my life with another alcoholic and uh, just you know lay it all out in front of someone because you know I wasn't afraid and I mean I had lots of fear but you know there's some things you've done that you just know if you tell anybody about them you're going to prison and I haven't done anything like that and uh, I imagine there's there's people in Alcoholics Anonymous and in recovery that have done stuff that they know they just can't tell anybody about or they're going away. And I mean, my advice is you should just come clean with it and deal with it and go through the healing. But what I see is a lot of people... Like they, they just won't get sober. They won't open up about their life. I imagine they have some really dark secrets that they know they can't tell anybody without it kind of, you know having some serious consequences, and then they end their own life. So I'd imagine in a lot of situations, people, a lot of people who end their own life are actually protecting other people. And that's this book got me into an unexpected side of that. Like I. You know, I struggled a lot with self-harm thoughts in my own life and you know, what if some of the people that are harming themselves are actually protecting the rest of us? Now, I I would encourage that is you know, I'm glad I opened up and talked to everybody and to me, talking and connecting with people is the that's what we need. We don't need people out there hurting themselves. We need people who are open and honest even when it's horribly difficult. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to to be where I am today because I was a correction officer and a police officer. You know, I've worked firsthand with people like the perpetrators in this book. I mean, I was a correction officer in the sexual violence unit. Everybody in there had like raped and murdered and raped and You know, everybody in there had done something like that. I was in there with them. And uh, one of the things that was shocking to me was, you know, I, I imagined when I went in there, there'd be this huge difference between us. Like, these are horrible, disgusting monsters. And, you know, I'm this white knight or black knight, you know, however you want to look at it. You know, I'm this angel. Who's gonna keep these monsters locked up and do some good for society? And, you know, the amazing, humbling thing I came out of there. What's up, Knight Phoenix? Nice to see you today. The amazing thing I came out of there is wow, there's one huge difference between me and the people that are locked up in here. I was loved, I was treated with respect. My parents and other people collectively took great care of me. You know, I I had little traumas here and there. You know, my dad spanked me and put me in my room and I got scared. Sure, I had my little minor sufferings. Nobody comes through this life without any drop of suffering. But overall, people loved me and took good care of me. And the people I was locked that I was keeping locked up in there as a correction officer, they had been severely mistreated first i don't think any of them in there had just been raised in a nice loving family in a culture that helped them meet all their needs and see how to talk about things and then done horrible things to somebody else it's like and this can be hard for some of us but shared shared responsibility that it's nice to just put people in a box and say, well, this person's just a monster and they're responsible for all that. Well, no. This person, like the people who did this to her were raised in a culture and were raised by people and you know somehow everybody else involved had some kind of an impact and bears some kind of collective responsibility too. Just like we all can collectively help each other and I think this is what pains us when we see the worst things happen, we know at the deepest levels we're all connected. We know that we're all a part of each other. And we know on some level, we bear a collective responsibility for everything any individual does to others. And it's, to me, when we bear in mind our collective responsibility, that encourages openness, love, transparency, communication with everybody. Like, hey, I never know who I might lift up and who I might help. Viking says, I'm going through a hard breakup right now and got to move out to find my own place five days before Christmas and not live with my son. It took all my strength not to turn to Valium and OD. I got to stay strong for my son. Hey, I'm proud of you because it's not just your son. It's for everybody else you impact and it's for yourself. Like, if you look, listening to this book, which was filled with so much horror, to me, if this was a movie and you'd had to pick a role to play, to me, you know, the main perpetrator, the Philip, that'd be the worst, most miserable role to play. At least, at least JC got to have a pretty nice childhood, 18 years of utter hell and misery and then she gets to have her own life now like to me the the worst thing we can be is somebody that hurts ourselves because by hurting ourselves we set ourselves up to hurt other people the worst thing we can be is somebody who is not taking good care of ourselves and so it's not just you know to, staying sober is not just for me i benefit the most Or, you know, me staying sober is not just for my family. I benefit the most from taking good care of myself. And one thing I loved reading this book, it hurts so much to read this book. I'm very empathic, and things have a certain energy. And this book had a powerful energy, both big negative and big positive. I am proud of how strong I am now and how much I can handle. You know, it is brutal as a father who's sober, who's, you know, had my own relatable struggles in terms of like feeling lonely. Like she, you know, what's interesting in this, like a lot of times we would think about, you know, somebody being abducted, like the physical pain and abuse would be the worst. But if I accurately heard what she said, it was the loneliness the loneliness and the powerlessness that was the worst part of this experience. That the physical pain was nothing compared to the mental pain of feeling alone and invisible. And what's interesting is I read a book just before this called Hunger with written by a girl who had a similar experience and she identified the same thing as loneliness. And I remember feeling very lonely myself as well. And this is where collective responsibility comes into play. We have a culture that promotes and facilitates loneliness. And that's a collective thing we're doing. Lonely people, the sick, I read a book by a doctor called Mind Over Medicine, and she said the absolute worst thing for your health is isolation. And I'm sure that applies to physical and mental health. Loneliness is one of the worst things for us physically and mentally. And what she describes in this book, the worst pain she experienced was that obviously the physical abuse was, you know, awful. But the physical abuse was relatively short in terms of time compared to the mental anguish of being alone. And we live in a culture that facilitates loneliness. And this is why one of the best things we can do is help other people feel connected. The opposite of loneliness is connection. And often to help other people feel connected, we need to be real and we need to be raw and we really need to love from our heart. I feel so completely connected that even when I go places I don't know anybody, I feel instant connections to people. You can help people feel connected. Like I felt so connected to the people I did yoga with this morning, even though I didn't speak to hardly any of them. I didn't make eye contact with most of them, and yet I felt very connected. And Viking says, I totally agree. And Night Phoenix says, I felt lonely. And I know if you're watching me or listening to this on my podcast, there's a high likelihood that you've experienced some severe loneliness at some point. One, because it's a very common experience. Two, because, well, like tends to attract like. And I get on every day hoping I can help somebody to get some relief from being lonely. And you can get relief from being lonely when you really openly connect with other people and uh, you know this this book you got to you got to connect with people who want to connect with you too and that can be a bit difficult to find you know this like the the guy in this book that and his wife were just so sad and lonely and i just pray that people who are sad and lonely can Find some connection because I feel very connected to everybody. I laid in yoga today and in the Shavasana, I had this feeling of like all of us in the room of being like blue balls of soul energy and forming this net together. And that's connection, knowing that your life separates the other life. Your life is not really separate from all other lives one of the interesting thoughts that challenged me with this book too is that there'd be no story there'd be no story without the bad there'd be no Harry Potter without Lord Voldemort you know all the stories that these you know there'd be no Star Wars without the Empire because sometimes it's very confusing to me I in addition to identifying as As all the other stuff I do, I identify as a star being. I don't feel I'm from this planet. That I've incarnated here to assist this planet. Like, I'm not natively human in terms of... Like, I'm not from here. I'm not even in the reincarnational cycle here. I've came here to help out from another planet. And the way people operate here is just weird to me. Like, the... The horrible things people do to each other is just kind of confusing. Like it doesn't, I don't understand like why, why would you do that? That, you know, it's more confusing than anything else. Like, and that's part of my work here is to understand better because in order for me to help, I need to understand better. Chill says, same night Phoenix. People are so different minded for others. And I guess feel I can't connect to the things we do or say. Night Phoenix says, it's I felt lonely because no one really liked me and it made me feel down. I noticed there were points in my life where I felt like no one liked me and I was very lonely and very down. I also noticed at those points though, if I came back to that point, With what I know now, I would have a completely different experience. Like I was very lonely in middle school and high school. And if I went back there now with what I am now, there would be all kinds of people who liked me and were friendly. I would be very well connected it was not the school or the environment it, I was in it was my interpretation and my beliefs that gave that rise because there are people who went to the same school that I did who had a great time and felt really connected and they were almost indistinguishable from me in like external characteristics so how is it I went into the same place other people thought was awesome and a great time and they made lifelong friends and I go in there feeling lonely and feeling like people don't like me. And one thing if you think you've came here from somewhere else a star being you can kind of feel like this you can kind of feel like you don't really belong here. Because to some degree you don't. You it's like in a hurricane when a place gets hit really bad, people from all over, out of love and generosity, go to volunteer to help clean the place up and and stand it back up. So I look at it: my soul came and volunteered here to help clean the place up. And part of doing that is feeling out of place because. You're not really from here. When you go like clean up some other country that was hit by a disaster, you're you know you're not from there. The places and the people and the customs are foreign. Now you can find things you relate to, but you know you're not from there. That's not where you belong. That's not what you know. So I I'm sure we all have the opportunity to connect if we will open our hearts. What I find I need constant constant attention to is is my heart open right now or is my heart closed because it's up to me whether I open my heart or not and I felt with this book my heart opening and closing a bunch of times as soon as I start listening to a book my my heart starts closing and I open it up I'm like you are safe this is a book and I'm opening my heart back up and usually it takes crying to open a heart that's closed back up and what's amazing I mean she she cried so many times and it's amazing that her heart after so much just brutality and I would say the mental isolation and loneliness and powerlessness was the worst part of the brutality of you know the hours and hours and hours and uncertainty and she still is able to have an open heart and love and that's that's amazing to see how resilient human beings are and really our souls are. So it's up to each of us to open our hearts. And you can tell like the perpetrators, you know, they, their hearts were very closed. And what's amazing is she talked about kind of the multiple personalities they'd have of like very, you know, very aggressive and perpetrating and hurting her and then remorseful and sorry and not going to do it again. It's like, Wow. And that's that's what's hard too is to feel empathy because almost all of us have done something in our lives that we felt remorseful afterwards about. And yes, most of us have done things that, you know, were nothing compared to the violence in this book. But all of us have said something to somebody. Have any of you not said something to somebody that you immediately regretted? I mean, I think... What can be tough in this book is seeing that you know, we have more in common than we have different. All of us have said something or done something or been remorseful about something and wondered, how did I do that? You know, I've had fights with my wife and I'm like, how did I, I... One of the last fights I had with my wife where I said a bunch of nasty stuff, I felt so remorseful. I'm like, how did I do this again? And I realized what I really felt bad about was not what she said. It was about what I said, that I said that she was selfish or whatever nasty things I said to her. You know, and if you saw us from the outside, it didn't look, you know, we weren't like swearing at each other. We were out at a restaurant. You might not have noticed us even fighting, but in calm tones of voice, in regular conversational speak, I said things that were nasty to her and it doesn't even matter what she said because what she said didn't hurt me at all compared to what I said that I felt bad about. So I think almost all of us can relate to you know getting ourselves into a state where we do something we regret. And thankfully, you know very few people are as nastier and as selfish and unloving and lonely and sick as you know, Philip and Nancy were in this book, and in real life. And the trick is, can we, can we have some love and compassion for everybody? That to me is my task. As a, a gift, I have to offer the world is a capability to love and understand everybody. Now, some people get scared of understanding. They think understanding means agreement like if you can understand how somebody could be this horrible monster if you're capable of understanding that then you must agree with it and that is absolutely not the case in fact understanding to me is a it's a mental strength that you can under understanding is like a superpower because through for, understanding brings things like forgiveness when you can understand how somebody could be horrible to another human being you have compassion for everybody involved and that can truly change the world you know i i have love for everybody involved in this story i mean the, obviously i i hope i hope philip and nancy are in a safe place where they can't hurt anybody else you know safe for them and for us you know that said God, that would suck to be them. That, if you look at it, if you look at life as a big theater production or movie role, if you picture all of us as souls beforehand coming into this life like a movie, how actors and actresses pick out roles they would play, who among us would want to volunteer to be the villain? I sure as hell don't want to be the villain. (laughs) I don't want to be the villain. I really like being one of the the good people or the you know, like in Harry Potter, I like the idea of being Harry Potter or Ron or Ginny or Neville, you know, hell, I'll take one of the random Ravenclaw kids that nobody even knows their name or one of the Hufflepuffs. Like as long as I'm not Lord Voldemort or you know, one of the Slytherins, my wife's like you'd be a Slytherin. However, it if you look at most of the movies we watch, everything's not going well. Often it's the drama, it's it's the awful things in life that actually make it interesting. And that's been one of my big learning points. Is because we often look at things and say this is horrible and it shouldn't happen. And that's true. At the same time, why do all these bad things happen in life? The answer I've got is so we can help each other. And after, after she got released from captivity, I mean, she needed a lot of help and it gave a lot of people the chance to help her. And I'm interested to read her next book. And uh, I, uh, I'm getting... I uh, have struggled recently with being judgmental of people who aren't all happy and fantastic or transparent all the time like me. Because I'm very open and transparent. If I'm feeling a bit down, I'll tell you, or I'll be crying. You see how I am. How I am here is just like how I am in the rest of my life. There's, you know, I love that there's no hidden version of me. Like, who I am now is who I am all over the place. And sometimes I judge other people that, you know, they don't want to make eye contact. They just have their head down. They, you know, they they don't want to like really get to know you or have any real conversations. Sometimes I get a bit judgmental, and I I immediately start to project the worst on them. Like ah, here's a sex offender here. You know, look at this guy won't make eye contact, doesn't want to. You know, what's he hiding? And uh, reading this book, it's it's like well. <laughs> One, maybe you don't want to know what somebody else is hiding. Or two, can you love somebody as they are? Because she talks about a lot when after she had kids with this guy, and the wife, his wife, would take her and the kids out. And she said she didn't want to make eye contact with anybody, she didn't want anybody to see her because she was afraid of the questions they might ask. And that's been something really good for me to internalize, because in the last eight and a half years where I've become so transparent, and look, everybody can see me, I tend to spot the people who don't want to be seen clearly. (laughs) So I'm looking for people to help. I'm like, aha, this sick bastard doesn't want anybody to notice. Let me go over and notice them and I've gotten frustrated at various points because people won't let me help them. I'm like, look, it's love and light. Aren't you ready for all this love and light coming your way? And they're not. They're not ready for all that love and light. They're in the darkness, and they're scared of coming out of the darkness. What was amazing to me is that she was talking about being in her 20s, and at the point she was at in her 20s, she simply could have taken her kids and walked straight out the door. I mean, she was not no longer in handcuffs or, you know, physically she, for the majority of time she was in captivity, she had the ability to just walk out. And especially for the last half of it, there were lots of times she literally could have just walked out the front door, you know, went to a neighbor's house and said, hey, call the police. At least nine years she was in captivity. She literally could have just walked out. And she didn't. Because, and this is where my own mental growth and compassion comes in, when you've been conditioned to be in fear and in shame and you're used to being alone. You know, some bright bastard like me coming along can look scary. Because it looks different. It ironically looks unsafe. Like, how are you going to be safe telling everybody everything about your life? How are you, you know, you're so vulnerable. I'm very vulnerable. You know, I went to yoga today and I'm, I'm just used to being so vulnerable. And I'm just like crying on my yoga mat. I don't care what anybody thinks. I even think maybe some of the people who are a little more in the light themselves would be proud of me. Like, look at this guy crying on his yoga mat. That's a man that's full of love right there, isn't it? I thought some people might even pat me on the back. Good job. Cry it out, buddy. This book really helped me expand and remember if people people have the chance to leave their darkness at some point. May and you know, sometimes you may be in a spot where there's just no way out. But often there is a way out. Like for at least half. From what I gathered from reading the book, I didn't live it, so I don't know. From what she said, it sounds like at least half the time she was in captivity, she at least physically could have easily got out. And uh, I used to have very little compassion on the subject of human trafficking. Like my wife and I first dated. When we were first dating, we went to bush gardens for the first time. I said something about how human trafficking didn't really matter that much because compared to all the other things that happened that was a minority, and we needed to work on much bigger problems than that. that are we should focus on bigger problems like poverty and people starving before you know human trafficking's way down the list, not even worth mentioning. And my wife got all upset at that and you know we had some some quiet, uncomfortable moments getting into the bush gardens. Because in my mind, I was thinking if you're physically not being held somewhere, then what's the deal? Then it's like you're choosing to be in that. If you physically aren't being held down, then, and you mentally don't choose to leave, then that's on you. That's how I used to look at it, because clearly I've never been in, you know. Being in a being a kid's kind of like being in captivity to some degree. You're not free to go. But I was planning on leaving the house as soon as I could get out. I'll tell you that. And now, I, I have much more compassion for the mental, the mental traps and abusive spots and sick places a lot of us can get into. And I want to wrap up on what to me is very important to remember that. Especially some of us get these rule, like men are perpetrators, women are victims and all these other things. Most men have not perpetrated any kind of assault on a woman. Most women, I mean, unfortunately, it may be, you know, just over 50%, but most women have never been the victim of an assault. I mean, maybe like, you know a slap or something. but like something very violent. Most women have not been the victim. Most men have not been the perpetrator and there are many men who are victims and there are many women who are perpetrators and it's nice to not think in terms of boxes and to remember most people most of the time are not hurting someone. Most people most of the time just want to be loved and are trying to love and are doing their best and you know, if you're struggling, please give somebody else the chance to help you. I love going to Alcoholics Anonymous almost every day because I love helping the sickest, most disturbed people at the meetings. Usually the ones that are fresh off of drinking in their first year. Their minds are sick. Their bodies are sick. I love to help them. So if you're struggling, please let somebody else have the gift of helping you. Your mind will tell you, I'm lonely, I'm sad, I don't deserve it, and... Her mind was telling her all the same stuff. But from outside, you can clearly tell this, uh, you know, when she was taken, and this is a little girl and a young adult who was worthy of a whole lot of help. And all of us are worthy of love and help and support, but, you know, we got to open our hearts to it. That's on us. We got to open our hearts to it and let it happen. Let the light in. I find if I'm in the dark, if I. Pray for the light to come. Know that it will come, and open. uh, Am open to letting it in. It often comes pretty quickly. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it. And I remember when I used to date. I felt like I was going to be alone forever, and all I was maybe I just liked being alone and miserable. And I met my wife right after that. And I'm like, you know what? If I don't get out there and try, you know, I'm going to keep trying even if I fail over and over and over again, I'm going to keep trying. So I love each of you. I hope this was a helpful conversation. This is not like a beginner book. You know, this is a book that I've prepared to read a book like this by reading a lot of other books that were not as tough to take in. This was a tough book. And yet, you know, when you take, when you take, classes. When you go to school, you take progressively harder lessons. I'm a little intimidated at the quality of lessons I th- seem to be ready to handle. This was a tough one. Maybe I'm going to just read some read some nice gentle books or something. Nah, I'm going to probably get into some other crazy thing. I'll tell you what it is, but we're over an hour on this live stream. I think I've said plenty I really, Pedro and Night Phoenix, I'm glad you love these streams. I love these too. I played some video games last night, just played some Returnal by myself. The lights off, it was really nice. This stuff is what I really am here to talk about. I've got this studio set up so I can have conversations like this. I mean, this stuff, you know, these. Some of us, we really don't want to look at these things. We need to look at these things. We need to. In the St. Francis prayer, I was thinking of this a lot in the last day. Lord, where there is darkness, let me bring light. So let's bring the light, my friends. I'm here to bring light. I know what I'm here to do. What are you here to do? I love you each. Have a wonderful day. I hope I haven't ruined anybody's day. But I will see you. I will plan to be on again tomorrow. If you watched on YouTube thank you. I hope you'll come join us on Twitch or if you listen on my podcast, hope to see you on Twitch. I love you each. Let's, let's bring a light where there's darkness, my friends.